Amen. Genesis chapter 2, just a few pages in for the begin the book. If you have trouble finding Genesis chapter 2, amen. we'll pray for you. Amen. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 8. And if you have it, say amen. amen. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So it was a beautiful garden and beautiful trees that were good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is the tree that Adam and his wife Eve partook of the fruit of. Amen. It was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And verse number 10 says, And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. Amen. It already sounds like a magical, mystical place that we're reading about. And the gold of that land is good. Amen. Every, every, every bit of gold I've seen has always been good. Uh, but with the Bible wants to make sure you understand that that's, this is good. There is Delium and the onyx stone, and the name of the river is Gihon. The same is it that, in, that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hedekel, that is it which goeth toward the, the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man... And put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God said, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Thou shalt surely die. And if you'd skip over with me, amen, to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. I'd like to direct your attention for one more reading of Scripture. Amen. First Peter chapter number 2. Amen. Nothing like the beautiful sound of Bible pages turning. In a digital world, amen, almost as a lost art. First uh, Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered... He threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That's talking about the cross of Calvary. Amen. But the writer in First Peter uh, calls it the tree, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes ye were healed. For as ye were, 
as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Amen. And for a few moments today, I'm going to uh, preach on a tale of two trees. Amen. Could you say that with me today? A tale of two trees. Amen. Let's set our Bibles down. Let's ask the Lord. Amen. If he would so graciously anoint us. Amen. To speak and to hear his word today. Amen. Lord, we ask you today in this house. Lord, for your simple touch upon this remaining part of the service today. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the touch of the Holy Ghost that we felt in this place. The presence of the Lord from the very beginning of the service today with the teaching, God, moving through the worship, God, and even to this point in the service, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing, and we pray today, Lord, that you, oh God, would anoint your servant to speak as your mouthpiece today, God. Use your humble servant today. Anoint every heart and every mind today to be receptive and open to the word of the Lord. And we'll give you glory and honor today. In Jesus' name. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. You'll have to forgive me. Amen. We are having so many technical difficulties today. Amen. We were here early. We had taken apart the uh, sound system for the painting and put it back together. There's always a bug that you got to work out. And, and so the sound, the mics are going in and out with the different channels. And we have our handy dandy iPad plugged in. And the app freezes uh, in the middle of, amen, get ready to sing. And then, uh, then the battery starts dying. And then so now I'm, I'm working off my small iPhone. So if you see me hunched over a little bit reading, uh, just so you know, amen, I'm not getting blind. It's just this is so small. Uh, but, amen, I just need somebody to help me preach today. And, and let's have a good time in the Holy Ghost. Amen. It was April the 2nd in the year 1513 that the Spanish explorer Juan Ponce de Leon and his crew became the first recorded Europeans to set eyes on Florida. This is a very long time ago. And legend holds that they made this discovery while searching for the, uh, the famed fountain of youth. We've all heard about that in, uh, in school and, and thought, man, I hope, you know, before you, you, the first time you hear it and before you hear the end of the story, you're really hoping that they have found this fountain of youth because there could be some outflow for your life. And uh, they were looking for the famed fountain of youth, a magical water source supposedly capable of reversing the aging process and curing sickness. Wouldn't that be wonderful today? Amen. To have something like that, you could just drive down to the river and have all have all your sicknesses removed and you can be just perfectly fine. And Ponce de Leon searched for a fountain of youth, which was rumored to be a spring that supposedly would restore the youth of anyone who would drink of its waters or bathe there. Amen. And tales of sacred restorative waters existed well before the birth of Spanish conquistador Juan Ponce de Leon around 1474. Alexander the Great, for example, was said to have come across a healing river of paradise in the 4th century B.C., 
And similar legends have had cropped up in such disparate locations as the Canary Islands of something uh, such as the Fountain of Youth or a River of Paradise. Uh, Japan, Polynesia and England, uh, all of those locations had uh, been rumored to have some sort of a healing water. Uh, during the Middle Ages, uh, some Europeans even believed in the mythical king uh Prester John, whose kingdom allegedly contained a fountain of youth and a river of gold. Uh, And we all love an intriguing tale of someone who is in search of immortality. And in the scriptures, beginning in the book of Genesis, there is the account of the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And gold that was there and all the precious stones and rivers that flow through it and it was a tropical paradise that had uh, some magical if you will elements in it uh, by by human standards uh, it had some marvelous uh, amazing uh, ways to heal uh, to give sight to, uh, to give life forever and it, what a beautiful place uh, a place of perfection never forget that the garden of eden was the, the place in which god intended mankind to live in that place of of unfettered communication and access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it was a beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, But in the midst of the garden, there was two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And and the Lord uh, spoke to Adam and said, you can have everything you want in this garden except for two things you can't touch. And of course, just like any good child, uh, we want to go for exactly the thing that we're not supposed to go for. Uh, My daughter can be doing a number of things and I can say, don't do do X, Y, and Z and she'll go exactly for it. Uh, Sister Shannon will try to teach her. Uh, many times don't hop on the couch and run all over the couch but as soon as daddy comes home she runs to the couch and she's all over it and she's getting spankings all over again and uh, we, we, we just we, it's that forbidden fruit that we can't seem to resist sometimes uh, and the similar situation happened for Adam and Eve in the garden of uh, in the garden of Eden and it was there that uh, Adam walked and he talked with the Lord and Eve came along a short while later, and, and I'll spare you some of the details, but uh, they began, uh, Eve began to look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she began to listen to the voice of a serpent beginning to talk to her and whisper things into her ear, and, and begin to cause her to doubt the voice of God in her life, and the man of God in her life, and that voice of the serpent was very subtle, and and there are times in them that we hear voices in our lives. And, and if we are not careful, we begin to entertain voices. We begin to entertain things uh, that we have no business listening to. And, and we should not be talking to and allowing the devil to speak into our lives. And things that are contrary to the word of God to speak into our lives. And so he began to listen to that serpent as he began to talk to her and began to cause her to doubt, amen, the voice of God in her life. And it wasn't long before Eve began to uh, take a few steps closer to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it wasn't long before she was right up face to face with that tree. And she was looking at that fruit on that tree. And she saw that beautiful glaze. Uh, We'll just call it an apple. The Bible doesn't tell it uh, exactly what kind of fruit it is, but... For today, we're going to call it an apple, okay? Uh, she began to look at that beautiful apple, and she began to see that glaze on the 
on that apple like the supermarkets make it nice and shiny and a beautiful apple and beautiful color and cheese. The Bible says it was a pleasant tree to look at. It was good for food. And Eve knew that this is going to be some good food. The Lord said it was all good. And it's beautiful to look at. And she began to get closer to it. And the devil began to speak to her and speak back to her. And she spoke back to the serpent. And she caused, she got to this interaction and this discourse with doubt. This discourse with uh, an opposing view, an opposing word to the man of God in her life. And I want to tell this church as before I go forward, amen, there are going to be voices that come into your life. And if you're not careful, you'll begin to listen. You'll begin to say, well, you know what? I kind of understand where you're coming from. And, you know, that kind of makes sense in the way you're explaining it to me. And, and you begin to forget all about the word of the Lord. And if you're not careful, you begin to get into a back and forth discourse. Amen. With the serpent and the voice of the deceiver in your life. And it's not long before you're out doing things you should never partake of. And, and there's people that even should be in this place today. But they've allowed the deceiver to speak into their lives. And it's caused them to create distance between them and the man of God. Distance between them and the place of God in their life. And this step that he was about to take, amen, to reach out and grab a hold of that, that beautiful fruit, amen, was uh, going to be a very costly mistake in Eve's life. And, and so as the Bible tells us, she reached out and grabbed a hold of that, that fruit and she took a bite of that fruit and, and, and her eyes were open, the Bible says, and, and she looked around and, and it tasted good and she didn't feel death coming to her body. And she began to go and talk to Adam and, and begin to share with Adam that, that fruit that, that she had partaken of. And, and she began to say, here, Adam, you take a bite of this beautiful, shiny apple, fruit, whatever you want to call it. You take a bite of this. Look, I'm okay. Everything's fine. I, I can actually see a little bit better. I understand a little bit more. Uh, and I, I think I was in deception before, but, but, you know, it was actually looking back. It was God that was protecting Eve, amen, from embarking upon a path that would be self-destructive, amen, to her life. And I'm going to tell somebody today in the fear of God, amen, you've got to be careful what things you partake of in your daily life. There are things that will be destructive to your life. Though you say, well, you know what, it doesn't seem like it really affected me that bad. I can get over it. I can be fine. Amen. But there is some lingering. Uh, there are some repercussions that was fixing to be revealed in Eve's life. Amen. And uh, there's a contrast that I want to draw out today in Scripture. And the first uh, contrast is, is this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Bible says it was beautiful to look upon. It was good for food and and, uh, and all of these things. And we'll talk a little bit more about it. But in, in 1 Peter, we begin reading about another tree. Another tree that we know as the cross of Calvary. And there is a stark distinction between these, these two trees in the Word of God. There are stark distinctions, amen. There, there is so much contrast, amen, between the first tree that Adam partook of and the last tree, amen, that the second Adam, that is Christ, partook of, amen. And then I want to challenge somebody today, amen, to look at the cross of Calvary and not see it as some hideous, repulsive object, 
but it is truly something of beauty to behold because it is on the cross that we found we found salvation for our lives. Amen. The first tree the Bible says was pleasant to the eyes. Amen. It appealed to the flesh. And there are things that begin to appeal to your flesh. And you begin to look at things and say, well, that feels good to my flesh. So did the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It appealed to the flesh. And But the second tree was a hideous and repulsive tree. Amen. The, the second tree, the, the cross of Calvary, was not something that she necessarily looked at and at first glance thought, wow, look at those beautiful eight by eights. Amen. Stacked in the cross pattern. Uh, look at those beautiful uh, splintered eight by eights. Amen. That somebody's going to lay upon and they're going to nail him to. It was a hideous and repulsive tree. Amen. Sometimes the things of God, amen, is not always appealing to your flesh. The things that appeal to your flesh, amen, are different from those things that appeal to the spiritual man on the inside of you today. And we've got to be folks that walk in the Holy Ghost. Amen. And we don't walk in the flesh. And we learn to set our sights on things, amen, that are good for us. Things that will help us. Things that will bless us. And stop looking for things. Amen. As a fruit. A temporal thing. Amen. Of passing satisfaction and enjoyment. And not things that have permanence to them. God forbade, forbade a man to eat of the first tree. He said, don't you come near the first tree. Don't you partake of it. Amen. But the second tree, the cross of Calvary, God invites all men everywhere to partake of the second tree. Amen. The first tree, amen, appealed to the flesh. And God said, stay away from that thing that appeals to your flesh. But that thing that appeals to the spiritual man, that's the thing you need to draw close to. That's why it's important to stay full of the Holy Ghost. Satan used every deceptive practice to get man and woman to eat of the first tree. He used every deceptive practice in the book to get Eve to to indulge in the fruit of that first tree. Amen. He did everything and every tactic imaginable. Amen. To get Eve to partake of the first tree. But now he uses every tactic imaginable. Amen. To prevent men from eating of the second tree. The first tree give you every reason to book why you wanted to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when it comes to the cross of Calvary, the devil still uses every trick in the book to get you to not go to the cross, to not pick up the cross, to pick a more convenient season, amen, to find a more opportune moment, amen, that you're not ready yet. This church is crazy. Uh, they, they don't do things the way I like to do them. Uh, and it's not a good time for me. And I want to wait till I get everything in order and get my ducks in order and everything's lined up and every, every tactic imaginable the devil uses to get the people of God to not come to the cross of Calvary. He says another time. He says, can you make it a little bit prettier? Can you make it something like the first tree that I, looked, I, I enjoyed looking at? The second tree is repulsive. It's hideous. And he uses every tactic imaginable. The first tree brought sin and death into the world. 
The first tree brought sin and death to the world. Amen. But it was a second tree that brought life and salvation to mankind. There is stark distinctions between the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and, and, the, and the tree that, uh, uh, that, hold, that held Jesus up on that cross. Amen. On Golgotha's hill. Amen. There is stark distinctions. The first tree, that which appealed to the flesh, it brought sin and destruction. It brought death and damnation. Amen. And those who attached themselves to the things of the flesh would encounter impending doom for their lives. But those that looked on the cross, those that looked on the cross of Calvary and said, I'm going to make my way, amen, to where Jesus is on that cross. Amen. I'm going to identify with the cross of Calvary. Amen. There is redemption. There is healing. There is salvation. And by His stripes we are healed. And so the cross of Calvary, it brings healing. It brings restoration. It brings direction to your life today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The cross of Calvary. Hallelujah. The first tree pushed man and woman out of paradise. The result, the immediate result of Eve's sin and Adam's sin was the angel was set at the entrance of the garden and he had that flaming, waving sword keeping out Adam and Eve and anybody that would try to come back and enter into the Garden of Eden. And so that first tree, because of their indulgence in the flesh, pushed them out of the intended plan of God for their lives. But the second tree, the cross of Calvary, as that thief hung on that cross and he he asked the Lord for forgiveness. And the Lord looked back at him and said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. The second tree allowed man to enter into paradise. The second tree is access back to the throne room of heaven. The second tree is an open door, amen, to the presence of God. Amen. Not just for that thief that was on the cross, but for every following, every subsequent sinner, every subsequent man, woman, child, amen, that would make their way back to the foot of the cross and say, God, I'm laying my life down at the foot of the cross, and I know that there's a plan for my life. And so the second cross allowed mankind to enter back into paradise, back into the plan of God, back into the unfolding redemptive plan of Calvary. Can I tell you today, it's at the cross that there's redemption. It's at the cross that there's healing. It's at the cross where there's salvation and there's deliverance today. At the cross of Calvary. Both trees are actually the knowledge of good and evil. Both trees are actually trees of the knowledge of good and evil. It's at the cross that we see the goodness of God incarnate. There we behold the holiness of God. There we discover unfathomable love and matchless grace and veil as never before or never since. Amen. There at the cross, amen, is a knowledge of who God is because it was the Roman soldiers that said truly this was the Son of God. Amen. Knowledge, amen, happened at the cross of Calvary. And there is understanding for your 
the cross and say, okay, God, my life is yours for the taking. I surrender my life to you. The knowledge of the second tree makes one wise unto salvation. But there too, we also see evil in all of its native hideousness. There we witness the consummation and climax of humanity's wickedness. There at the cross of Calvary, we see the extent to which mankind will go in their sin that blinds their minds. We see the repulsiveness of a sinful, wicked world in all of its gore, in all of its hideousness and repulsiveness. We see the things that mankind is capable of, of taking an innocent man that all he did was good and bless people and heal people and give direction. And we find mankind taking an innocent man, nailing him on a cross, beating with the cat of nine tails, scourging him, doing all the things that inflicted the maximum amount of pain in his life. We see the repulsiveness of sinful humanity. One thing that I've learned and I've heard and seen, people that walk away from God, and say, I'll never do X, Y, and Z. If I li- if I'd stopped going to church, I'll never do X, Y, and Z. All the different sins. I'll, I'll never be uh, this type of a sinner, that type of a sinner. You don't pick what you what happens to your life when you walk away from the things of God. There is no telling the sin, the gross sin you will get involved in walking away from God. And there was no telling, amen, the, the evil that was at play and at work at Calvary against Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There we behold, as nowhere else, the vileness, the heinousness, and the awfulness of sin. At the cross, amen, we see how low mankind can go. The, the repulsiveness that mankind gets involved in. The, the evil, the wickedness that mankind co- can commit. And the potential for wickedness to take hold of a person's life. An innocent man stripped naked on the cross. Stabbed. Beat. His hair pulled from his face. And all other different things that entail the crucifixion. The first tree was good for food for the natural man. The first tree was good for food for the natural man. It tasted good to eat. It tasted good. It felt good. Her flesh was appeased by the fruit of that first tree. But the second tree was good and is good for food for the soul. Second tree, the cross of Calvary. There we see all of our sins covered by his blood. There we see our old man crucified and a new beginning. There we see the ground upon which a holy God can meet a guilty sinner. At Calvary. At Calvary. It's a place of meeting. It's a place of direction. The first tree was directly linked to a curse. You eat of this tree, you will surely die. 
It was directly linked to a curse. But the second tree was directly linked to a blessing. For all who would partake of that second tree. It was in Galatians chapter 3 and 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. Amen. Amen. God has a way of revealing contrasts in scriptures as you study the word of God. Amen. The, the first tree, the first Adam was a mark of the flesh and the carnal, fleshly, natural man. But the second Adam, that which was Jesus Christ and that second tree, the cross of Calvary. Amen. Was a work of the spirit. And it's up to you and I to choose. Amen. Which tree we will identify our lives with. Which tree our lives will be defined by. That which is ruled by the flesh. That first tree. Or that which is ruled by the spirit. The second tree. Hallelujah. We've got to be a church that is full of the Holy Ghost. That is led by the spirit of God. Amen. The sinful shadow of the first tree stretches over all of humanity. While the second tree provides cover and rest for all who come under its power. The power of the cross. Hallelujah. I want to get as close to the cross as I can. I want to get as close, amen, to the thing that God is doing as I possibly can. I want to make my way to the foot of the cross and nail myself, be, be crucified with Christ and say, okay, God, I, I've got to lay my own carcass. I've got to lay my own flesh on an altar back on the cross and I've got to be crucified with Christ. And I've got to say, God, take this life. God, it's a sacrifice that I'm making for you, God. And Lord, my life that I give to you, that I live for you, is a sacrifice. I'm going to tell you, it's not a sacrifice if there's not flesh on the altar. If there's not flesh on the altar, there's not, it's not a sacrifice. Somewhere along the line on the altar, amen, you've got to lay your flesh down and say, God, take my body, take my life, take everything that I've got, Lord. I'm laying on an altar before you. I am the sacrifice, Lord. I am that sacrifice. I'm sacrificing my life for you, Lord. Because it's not a sacrifice if there's not flesh on the altar. And if there's not flesh on the altar, there's never going to be fire that falls to consume it. Fire doesn't fall on empty altars. Fire doesn't fall on altars that are void of you laying down some flesh, you laying down some lives, your life, and saying, God, here I am. Here I am today. I'd like us to take a few moments and talk to Jesus right now. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Jesus, I pray right now, Lord, you would talk to your people, Lord, in this house. Jesus, I'm praying, Lord, by the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm asking you right now in this house, Lord, to speak to us. I'm praying, Lord, for the touch of your spirit, the help of the Holy Ghost.
Lord, we lift ourselves, we lift our lives, our hands, our hearts, our wills, our future, our dreams, everything we lift it up to you today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you stand with me today. And I'm closing today. The book of Exodus chapter 15. It says in verse 23, And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, another tree, which when he had cast into the waters, The waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance. And there he proved them. Exodus 15 and 23 through 25. Shows us the nation of Israel at the commencement of their wilderness journey. When they reached Marah that they could not drink of the waters of Marah for they were bitter. They were faced with waters that they couldn't drink, that they were bitter. They could not stomach it. They could not digest it. They could not take it into their bodies. And Moses cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters this tree, the Bible says that the waters were made sweet. That tree typifies the cross of Christ and the Christ of the cross. And it was our blessed Lord who by going down into the place of death sweetened the bitter waters for us today. By going down to that, uh, the bitter waters of death He sweetened life for all of humanity. And furthermore it is only as the believer applies practically, practically the principle of the cross to his and to her daily lives that the maras of our wilderness experiences are transmuted into waters that are made sweet. As you and I are faced with this dilemma today and what we do with our lives and the, the sacrifice and the flesh and the cross and the first tree and the, the second tree, amen, as you apply the cross principle to your life, There is something special that God begins to work in the waters of your soul. And then struggles of bitterness and struggles of hatred and strife. And all of the things that manifest itself through the flesh. Amen. As the cross is applied to your life. There is a sweetening process that the cross begins to work in a person's life. But it's up to you and I to lay our flesh down on an altar. And say, God, it's not a beautiful thing. But all all the results of getting to the cross. It's, It's not always a pleasant experience being at the cross. Amen. It's not always a pleasant experience being at an altar. Amen. 
sometimes you come to an altar and your hair gets messed up and your, your clothes are filled with sweat and your tie gets uh, made crooked and your, your shirt becomes untucked and the sweat begins to come down, the tears come, amen, and you get a little bit messy, but, but all the result of the cross, amen, is a change for your life that will last you a lifetime. At the place at the foot of the cross, it's a place where the flesh is laid on an altar and flesh is sacrificed and your spiritual man makes contact with the heavenly God. Hallelujah. I like us to all come to this front altar as we close this service out today. I like for everybody to come. Would you come for a few moments? And as you come, I'd like you just to lift your hands to the Lord. And I would like for us as a church to just talk to the Lord today. God, concerning my future, God. Concerning where I am, God, and where I'm going and what I'm doing, God. God, I'm just going to let you know today, God, that I'm going to apply the cross principle to my life. The cross that symbolizes self-sacrifice and the things, God, that I'm going to lay down, Lord, on an altar. I'm going to lay them down today. I'm going to lay down my flesh on an altar. I'm going to come before your presence today. i like for us as a church to lift up our voices. And I would like for us just to talk to the Lord today. Amen. Brother Walmer let us in a beautiful uh, teaching this morning. And this is a moment where we can begin to apply into that teaching right now. Shadow of many, shadow of himself. Search my heart, oh God. Know my thoughts and my ways, God. God, have I been living in the flesh? Have I been living for self? Have I been living for self-gratification and things that only appeal to my flesh? Or have I been living, God, for things that, uh, that my soul desperately needs today? Come on, lift up your voice and talk to Him.